Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cat Podcast. We're come rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to the most full weekly recap that we've had in quite some time. I'm not going to go as far as to say, like, years, because that's not true, but it's at least been a couple of weeks into probably about a month, because we have football recruiting to cover, all Big 12 honors, men's basketball, women's basketball, volleyball, and a little bit of soccer news, too. But, so, just to avoid wasting any time, let's get straight into football recruiting, and we have two commits to talk about, one for 2023 and the first commit of the 2024 recruiting cycle. But let's start off with the 2023 guy, and that is former Oregon State corner commit and current JUCO player at Iowa Western, William the Blanket Lee, or Will Lee the Wildcat. Connor, what do you have about Willie? Um, sorry, it, it like throws me off every time you call him Willie, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Willie, uh, yeah, he was a one time uh commit to Oregon State, uh, and visited K State at one point in the fall. I don't remember exactly when, but it's been a while, so this commitment was kind of out of left field, honestly, uh, because he'd kind of fallen off of the radar, I feel like. But he ends up committing. Uh, he was being recruited as well uh, and offered by Iowa and Florida State. And Florida State was going uh, after him pretty hard. Um, but he is a three-star um, on three, has him as an 86. 24-7 has him as an 84. Uh, on three has him as their number 12 nationally ranked uh, Juco player in the number two corner. Um, he has great size at six foot two to three ish, 185, and very, very long arms. So, if that's sounding familiar to you, his build is very similar to Julius Brents. If you look at him on his huddle film, he really does. Uh, he just looks like Julius Brents in the way that, uh, even his stance is basically exactly the same. I mean, just like the way that his arms just like hang down, like almost <laughs> like his like ankles. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he's really good. Um, I, I like him a lot as a as a JUCO ad, um, just to add some additional depth to a corner room, which uh, I don't even know if I necessarily needed more depth because I do think that we have a fairly deep corner cornerback room right now. Because I'd assume because Julius Brents is gone, uh, Echo probably is as well. Yeah. Uh, then you have Jacob Parrish back, Omar Daniels back, uh, Jordan Wright back, Justice Clemens back, Darrell Jones back. Um, and then Don McIntosh is coming in and Colby McAllister as well. So RJ there's a lot Lester. of names. Yeah, RJ Lester in. is coming in. So there's a lot of names in that cornerback room. Uh, and I, I, I like most of them. Uh, and Will Lee comes in and will be in a position to probably be a rotational guy. I'd say his position on the roster is going to end up being kind of similar to Justin Gardner in 2020, I think. Uh, where he's going to be the first guy off the bench as a corner and is almost playing starter snaps, I think. Uh, and honestly, could end up being a starter because I do think he has the talent for it uh, just because of his, he's very instinctual as a player. He's not the fastest player in the world, but he uh, is big enough to where he can make up for it a little bit in the same way that Julius Brents is not the fastest guy in the world, but he is so tall and his arms are so long that it hardly matters that he isn't running like a four, three, he runs probably about a four five, but I really like William Lee. Um, I'm, he's very intriguing as a, as a prospect because he is pretty raw as things stand. Like a lot of Juco guys are, but I, I think he's a fantastic addition, uh, to the secondary elite nickname too. the blanket Willie wildcat, the blanket. Yeah. Yeah. He's like you said, it's another example of us getting a freaky athlete who has a lot of length to his game. He's tall. He has long arms. And honestly, I think that that's a good mold for the big 12 specifically, because even if you're not the fastest guy, it almost doesn't matter because you're going to go up against receivers that are running like four threes. So you can take that if you're getting a six foot receiver that runs a four three against a six four six three guy who's running a four five, that's more of an equal matchup than you'd think, especially if they get pressed up because a shorter receiver who runs that fast 
is not going to know how to break press off of a guy whose arms are as tall as the guy getting the release. But yeah, I, he is just another good athlete and a good lengthy prospect. The only concern I have has nothing to do with him. And it's just something we talked about. It's the cornerback room in general, because it is a crowded, crowded, crowded room. I almost yeah. think someone has to move. Like I, and the thing is, I don't think there are any great candidates to move. I don't think so either, especially because uh, Keenan Garber just moved over from wide receiver to corner as well. If you go look at the roster, uh, that that's noted. Uh, so there's even more corners there. Uh, and then even there's a guy like Trey Krause, who was a highly thought of uh, walk on who, uh, if pressure was given, he may have ended up getting a scholarship. So there's a lot of guys in the corner room and you really only ever have two or three on the field at the same time. So it wouldn't be shocking to see uh, one or two of those guys maybe consider move to safety. I don't know if that's going to happen because we haven't really seen that happen all that much. The most we've really ever seen is AJ Parker moving from outside to slot corner. Uh, in 2020, but that was out of necessity uh, more than anything, uh, just because we we lost our uh, uh, slot corner that year. So it's a uh, now very very crowded room. I'm going to be really interested to see uh, who emerges, and also I wouldn't be shocked to see a lot more rotation a corner next year, just because of the amount of talent uh, in the room, and also just because there isn't like that top flight NFL guy like Julius Brents at least as that we know of. So we probably aren't going to see him on the field as much or a guy like him where they're, you know, they're playing basically every snap in the game just because of how talented they are. Yeah. I, the, I think the worst part about it is that I don't think there are any obvious candidates to move to like Jack safety. Yeah. yeah that, that is kind of the issue. The most obvious one, I guess is Darrell Jones, but even then the majority of like his biggest strength was straight line speed coming yeah. out of high school. And you don't want to put, a guy like that in a perennial slot position. Yeah. Yeah. You have to question uh, his frame and the ability to tra- uh, to transfer that to safety. And then also, I, I just remember we have Nigel Thomas coming in as well. He's listed as a safety, but I thought they may have won him as corner, but I doubt that's happening anymore. He's going to have to be a safety. He's about to put him safety now. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very concerned about losing some talented guys just because the path to getting on the field is pretty limited right now. I mean, it's not going to shock me to see. Yeah, it's not going to shock me to see one or two guys uh, transfer out this offseason. So if that doesn't inevitably happen, I'm not going to panic unless it's like Jacob Parrish. I think that's the only person I'd really hit the panic button on uh, transferring. I don't expect that to happen. So. Um, but it won't it won't shock me to see somebody transfer out in the offseason, which I hate to say that, but it's just such a crowded room. Uh like like we've been saying already so much. But yeah, it's it's gonna be interesting to see how it shakes out when we finally get the two deep in like eleven months or whatever. Yeah. Not 11, like nine months. Yeah. So <laughs> Gotta let the depth chart gestate, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> but welcome to the family, William. Now we can move on to the first 2024 commit. And that is tackle out of Mill Valley, Kansas kid, Gus Hawkins, a six foot seven, 255 pound offensive lineman. So he's already coming in with, you know, he needs to put on a little bit of weight, but that frame is elite. That's an elite frame. Yeah. There's a lot to like about Gus Hawkins from his film. Uh, his film, frankly, especially with context, is fantastic um, because you, and I was listening to the Mill Valley uh, broadcast of the uh, Mill Valley versus May state title game uh, on the way to the KU game when I was driving to Manhattan. I tried to listen to the May's broadcast, but their their uh, station messed up and was playing like three things at the same time. And it was just <laughs> giving me a headache. So I listened to the Mill Valley one instead. And they started talking about Gus Hawkins. And that was the Saturday before he committed. And they pretty much said on the broadcast that he was going to commit to K-State. So we we had the accidental scoop on that. I I can't take credit for that because I didn't actually do anything. So <laughs> I uh, I like like right, we just kind of knew about it. Yeah, I, I didn't know that it was going to happen so soon either. But we went and watched his film, and his film really is is great. I really 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 like him as a prospect. Um, uh, his um lateral movement uh, and his speed at um the offensive tackle position is really fantastic. 
he has obviously great height, long arms. Um, on the broadcast, they were saying that he just moved to the KC area and um, that he was a tight end, I believe, was what they were saying before. Uh, so that explains uh, a lot of his uh, fluidity and uh, uh, ability. And he definitely, like half his highlights are him just pancaking somebody like like he just bowls somebody over half the time so he already has pretty decent strength and probably more accurately a really good understanding of leverage so i there's a lot to like with gus hawkins ultimately at the end of the day he is still pretty raw because it's his first year playing offensive tackle and he's playing left tackle at that so it's a, a high stakes position uh to move to immediately but i mean again this is highlight tape but based off of that it, it he has adjusted pretty well uh, he's got a, a lot of big moments on his film, and um, I I think he's a very, very high ceiling uh, offensive tackle prospect uh, because on on three, he's listed at 6'7", 240, 24-7 lists him at 6'7", 255. So that tells me that he's definitely put on some weight uh, and will continue to throughout high school. So I, I think this is a great pickup. The only thing is that, uh, which is really interesting, he didn't hold any offers. Uh, uh, K-State offered before even FCS schools did, uh, which is really interesting because normally uh, when you uh, get a guy early, there's still like that slew of area FCS offers like the Dakotas and whatnot. And it lists North Dakota State interest, but we got Gus Hawkins before even they offered. And then some power fives were also circling uh, KU, Nebraska, Iowa State, Iowa. Uh, they were all circling, but he ends up committing to K-State before any of them can get to him. Uh, but his his film is really fantastic. Uh, he's an 87 three star on on three and 86 three star on 24 seven. Currently great as the number three player in the state of Kansas by on three. So that's a really, really nice way to start a class. I like him a lot. I think he has NFL potential based on his raw traits and athletic ability. I think spending three to four years with Connor Riley uh, would do wonders for him. And even more so spending three to four years with Tremaine Carroll, I think would do wonders for Gus Hawkins because I, I think I, I think I like his film a lot more than most of the people that have evaled him so far. Like, I think he really has a chance to be special and I, I, I really am looking forward to seeing him grow and also how he performs next year because he's still just a junior in high school. So he may even grow more, which I mean, he's already six, seven or six, eight. So it hardly matters, but there there's still that, that opportunity there. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing his continued development. But his, watching his film was a lot of fun because he, he definitely looks further along than uh, most um first year offensive tackles would look yeah and i i think it's coming to k-state it's kind of the perfect scenario for his development it's a very good scenario for us because when he commits we'll be in the middle of the the clem pastori era so <laughs> and i everyone who's listened to the show remembers how much i loved and still love pastori at left tackle and I I was actually I thought it was ridiculous that Clem was rated higher than Pastore, but that that's neither here nor there. It's not ridiculous. I don't I didn't mean that like there's an insulting way. I just thought Pastore was better. But for Gus Hawkins to come in, he will get that time to develop behind a collection of tackles that I think are going to be very good for K State. So he won't be thrust into an emergency situation where he has to start at blindside tackle. And then that ruins his confidence because confidence for offensive linemen exists just as it exists for quarterback. So I think that this is a great pickup. I do think he needs time in the oven, but I think that we have enough depth at tackle right now to where he can be afforded that time. Yeah, that, that is true because uh, the offensive line has very consistently been one of the deepest units on the team. That's why the offensive line has been able to hang on despite losing Taylor Poitier for the season and uh, at times losing guys during a game. Um, I am really looking forward to seeing this offensive line as it continues because, I mean, this is still one of the better offensive lines in the conference this season, and it may be the worst iteration of the offensive line for the next four years. So, which is not a slight at all against this year's offensive line. I think that um, they really had to um, 
thrust Hadley Panzer and uh, maybe before he was quite ready uh, with uh, Taylor Poitier, uh going out for the year. Uh, so they're, they're already playing hobbled there and they've lost KT at times, uh, especially earlier in the season. So uh, they, they've had to fight through a lot, but I just think that the younger uh, guys have such high ceilings. Like Andrew Langang is going to be uh, a phenom and he will be drafted someday. There's no doubt in my mind about that at all. And uh, same for, for you as well. I know uh, that we're going a little bit off track with Hawkins, but this is mainly more to underscore just how good the offensive line recruiting has been. Uh, and I think there's mainly been concern in this area in the past and that we have not gotten our top targets, but we regardless have gone out and found really talented guys and molded them into what we want. And getting Gus Hawkins this early tells me that we did get our our top guy or one of our top guys at offensive tackle uh, for the 24 cycle. And uh, Connor Riley is getting even better at identifying talent early and closing fast because you don't, if you're K-State, you do not want uh, Iowa or Nebraska to be offering before you do for a Kansas City area guy because that in, this, in the past has spelled disaster. Uh, so it... The the Connor Riley has really done a fantastic job building a great line as well as arguably higher potential players behind all of those guys that will continue to develop. So as a, as a long tangent to basically say, I really like the Gus Hawkins edition <laughs> um, and I think he's going to do really great things at K-State. Yep. So welcome to the family, Gus. Now we can move on to football, all big 12 honors. And we'll start off with the two biggest ones, which is firstly, offensive lineman of the year goes to guard and classmate of mine, Cooper Beebe. <laughs> and I, first off, completely deserved. <laughs> yeah. Because I there, is, there are very few interior offensive linemen in the Big 12 that you can consistently point to and say, that guy is dominant. Cooper Beebe is that guy. And the only other guy that I can think of is like they even is in the same stratosphere. He's nowhere near as good, but like in the same, you know, galaxy is maybe Alan Avila, but I think he plays center. But I, again, it's, it was completely deserved because and it, to win it as a guard is even more impressive because it it's, it's infinitely more difficult to win it as a guard because you're not on one of the featured island positions. So you have to be especially great to win it at guard. So I, I honestly half expected this one to go to Connor Galvin because Connor Galvin plays tackle. I think Connor Galvin is an amazing player, obviously. I don't think he's as good at Cooper Beebe, but he plays the island position, so I thought he was the more obvious pick. But yet here we are, Cooper Beebe, Offensive Lineman of the Year for the Big 12. Yeah, and he completely deserves it. I mean, he's a going to most likely be a second round NFL pick, I'd say second to third round, depending on testing. Hopefully he slips into the first, but he's a guard, so it's harder for them to get into the first round unless your name is Quentin Nelson. So yeah. that um, was worth it, by the way. Oh, it definitely was. And I mean, he he has earned every or the Colts have earned everything out of him. So um, but yeah, Cooper Beebe um, definitely deserves the honor. Don't anticipate him sticking around. I think it's his, his time to go to the NFL unless he wants to stick around and bully his younger brother for a year or something. Which that like, actually might be a really big incentive. I mean, it might it may be worth it just for him to stick around and, and just bully Camden in practice. <laughs> but but uh, uh, regardless of what he does, his impact has been fantastic um, at K State. Um, one of the better offensive linemen to ever come through K State. Uh, going to end up being one of the highest drafted linemen for K-State. So uh, hat tip to uh, Cooper Beebe for a great K-State career if he does decide to leave. Yeah. Next up is a dueling bit of honors here, and that is a defensive player of the year and defensive lineman of the year, King Felix and Idike Yuzama. And I... This one honestly also kind of took me by surprise because I, I'm used to this being a linebacker. And I thought that the 
drought that Felix had, at least in terms of counting sacks, was I thought that that would really hurt his chances. It's clear that people actually watch the games and have watched Felix in particular because they recognize that he's getting pretty consistent pressure every single snap, even when he's getting held into the next existence. Yeah, I, I think I yeah. think that. Sorry, not to. You're good. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I I I think that you're you're exactly right. I think it's about uh, pressures and also how difficult he was to scheme around for coaches. So I think that that probably played a pretty significant role um, in him getting defensive player of the year. Texas fans in particular have been really upset that uh, Felix uh, got defensive player of the year over Jalen Ford. I don't care. Not even because like they're wrong or anything. It's just that I don't care because they're Texas fans. And yeah. I think their opinions invalid on anything Big 12 related at this point. And the yeah. amount of whining they've done in the last year. Or Stop the last crying! Time. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I don't want to hear it. <laughs> they uh they they've been whining so much the last uh, few days about uh like holding calls and it's not like the numbers they're using are like not even correct. So like I I just don't really care anymore. So Felix Felix gets the award and definitely deserves it. But what what were you saying? No, that, that was pretty much it. It's this is 100% a, a an award that Felix deserves just because of how dominant he's been whenever Felix is on his game. And even when he's off, he is a game wrecker. Like just look back to the TCU game where he was playing banged up. He didn't register a sack. Oh, but you knew he was there. (laughs) Yeah. You knew he was there. And he's had a lighter season. Statistically, he only has seven and a half sacks, but he's still leading the big 12 in sacks and uh, has still been a disruptive force at defensive end. So uh, I, I think that's where a lot of it comes from, is uh, playing beyond um, his statistics, which, again, stats are still a huge part of it, but especially the a position that can be eliminated really effectively, like an edge rusher, um, even when it takes two guys, that is arguably statistic in of itself. I mean, a, a place like a uh, quarterback, stats are going to be a lot more important than... Um, edge rusher, especially just sacks, because uh, pressures are probably a bit more indicative of somebody's actual pass rushing uh, success rate. Um, so it's a Felix definitely does a really great job there. So, yeah, good for him. He's almost certainly going to the NFL draft and he should because he's probably going to be a first round pick. So good for him. It's going to it's about to be a really fun year for uh, K-State at the NFL draft. Um, especially with it being in Kansas City. So I, I, I may make a point of um, getting out to Kansas City to uh, watch the first uh, couple rounds I'll uh, if possible. Yeah, it's a Union Station, so I, I may I may try and make it and uh, go. Hopefully uh, hopefully the Chiefs draft a uh, K-State guy at some point. I think that'd be pretty awesome, but we'll see. I'll, I'll pick you up or you can pick me up and we can drive together and we can go to 54th Street. <laughs> Splendid, finally. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I... You pretty much said what was going to be my final note. I really, just watching him play, Felix is a first rounder. I think that this almost guarantees that he goes in the first round, barring some really poor testing numbers, which I don't think Felix is going to test poorly at all at the combine. I I think I don't think Felix is going to run like a 4-4, like a lot of these crazy edge rushers, because he's going to be more of a 4-3 defensive tackle or a three, four end than a true edge guy, but there's still a lot of value in that. Just look at what Carl Loftus is doing. I know he more plays end, but that's probably the mold of Felix, that more interior end, but yeah. So alongside those two Cooper BB and Felix, obviously both of them got first team all big 12 honors. The other two first-team All-Big 12 picks were Ben Sinnott at fullback, no one tell them he's a tight end, and Julius Brents at corner. And I think the more interesting pick of the two is Ben Sinnott at fullback because I, who was the first-team pick for tight end? It was um, Jatavian Sanders, wasn't it? I believe so. Which deserved. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to argue that one. He's a Texas player. I don't think Texas players deserve human rights, but <laughs> they <laughs> someone's going to take that out of context and say I'm being serious. But 
I Benson in at fullback, considering how little he actually played actual fullback. <laughs> that's impressive. Good for Sinnott. Yeah, Julius in corner. I I think that that's no disrespect to Julius because he has been the most dominant corner in the Big Twelve this year. But I think that's somewhat of an indictment because there there aren't a lot of truly dominant corners that immediately spring to mind. I think the only other one that comes close is Josh Newton, and he's CB2 on his own team. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and oh, I went and checked. Uh, uh, Jatavian Sanders was the first team uh, tight end. So, Benson, it gets thrown to a fullback, which is fine. I mean, he's still first team, and we know he's a tight end, so I don't really care what they classify him as. Um, it, it is a little bit confusing to read, honestly, because the uh, um, official post from the Big Twelve Conference, like on their social media, they don't actually list the positions of the players. They're just they just hope that you know them. He's the second of... corner. Um, Travius. Um, they have they just list a bunch of defensive backs: um, Kobe Bryant, Julius Brands, Jason Taylor, the second Travius Hodges, Tomlinson, Josh Newton, and that is it. Because Michael Turk is a punter. But yeah, I was a little surprised Kobe Bryant got first team, honestly. Um he was he probably should have been an honorable mention guy. I'm being generous. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that was a little surprising. Congratulations to Senate and Julius. And then the second team is Deuce losing out to B. John Robinson and Kendra Miller. I'm upset about it, but I understand. Malik at wide receiver, finally living up to that potential. Brooks at kick slash punt returner. Kobe Savage at safety and Ty Zentner at punter. I'm going to bat for for Zentner. I'm going to bat for Legatron. Legatron deserved first team. I'm mad about the punter. (laughs) I am mad about the punter. (laughs) I guess that Michael Turk is like a really good punter, but I mean, gosh, Zentner was doing so much down the stretch for this team. And uh, I, I I was hoping that he would get a little bit more credit for that. It is what it is, I guess. I'm more upset about some of the uh, snubs from uh, the uh, the second team, uh, like uh, um, Huggins and Austin Moore. Like the like they got honorable mention, but the fact that they uh, weren't second team it was kind of shocking to me. I, I felt like those two were locks for a second team, but. Yeah. Eli Huggins continues to be disrespected. Yeah. Good. Speaking of the honorable mentions were Echo Boydo at corner. He will never get any recognition. Hayden Gillum at center. KT Leviston at tackle. Daniel Green at middle linebacker. Austin Moore at linebacker. Huggy Bear. Eli Huggins at nose tackle. And Adrian Martinez at quarterback. If Adrian Martinez plays the entire season, he's almost guaranteed to get second team spot because the um, there was – this was the only year that I can think of where the first team all big 12 quarterback was so obvious because the rest of the conference got hurt. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was, was the ones that, shaping. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or were hunter deckers. I was going to say they, the rest of the conference was either injured for most of the year or were aggressively were not mid or bad. Yeah. I mean, and frankly, like Jalen Daniels ends up getting second team, uh, all conference, which I disagree with, not because I think it should have been Will Howard or Adrian Martinez, but because it should have been Dylan Gabriel. Like he was the only other quarterback that played at a high level for most of the season. And if you're going to argue about record, I mean, KU and OU had the same record this year. They both went six and six, so I don't think that's valid at all. Um, and then also Jalen Daniels didn't really play that well in Big Twelve play. I get that he was hurt for part of it, but he was still playing. And Dylan Gabriel was injured for a while and came back and played fine. So. I get their different injuries, but like Jalen Daniels probably didn't deserve that uh, second team nod. He, honorable mention, I think, is probably where he should have been. But I, I really don't agree with him getting second team. Just it really should have been Dylan Gabriel. I think he was yeah. the only other obvious pick there. I mean, I do think I will say if Will Howard plays the entire season, it's probably him. Yeah, but honestly, he I'm, might press for first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he 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 would make he would have pushed for it. But it, I don't know. It it was a weird choice. There were some weird choices. Every every year, there's odd choices uh, in the uh, Big Twelve honors race. But at the end of the day, it is what it is. I 
they don't matter that much other than um, to provide some talking points for the off season when you're talking about who's returning. So, but that, and for uh, draft pundits to uh, have something to point out, I guess, but they're, they're still honors. So still, still cool for the the guys that made for a second team and got honorable mentions. Uh, Julie is a corner happy for him. Echo continues to get disrespected. It is what it is at this point. Honestly, he doesn't care. Apparently, according to his brother, the only people that care is his brother, his family, and like the fans. He apparently he does not care. Good for Echo because he 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 better not care because if he did care, he would just be perpetually angry about (laughs) the uh, uh, the lack of respect he gets just for not getting interceptions and just getting PBUs instead. But uh, good for uh, KT for getting honorable mention. Uh, Kobe Savage getting honors. I was a little bit worried he might slip just because he was injured at the end of the year, but he ends up still getting second team. So uh, really nice for him. Brooks gets honored again as a punt returner. So all around a uh, pretty, pretty nice haul for um, uh, K-State in the um, uh, postseason honors department, uh, getting uh four on the first team. That's pretty good. Yeah. So that is football recruiting. That's all the football news out of the way. Now we can talk about, Starting with men's basketball, we can start with them. They only had one game, and it was a 76-64 to loss to Butler in Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, disrupting the up-to-that-point perfect season, now 6-1 and one on the year. Before we go into stats, this, jeez, it was not a particularly inspiring performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was... Uh... A, uh, a difficult day, especially in the first half uh, for K-State. Uh, they they were even in the second half because they were down by 12 at half and ended up losing by 12. Um, but the first half was really rough uh, defensively, especially the offense was also not good, but the defense was particularly frustrating, I felt like, uh, especially because um, they didn't really do any, do any better in the second half for the most part. Um, a lot of open threes for Butler. The mid-range was there for them all game. Butler shot uh, at a really high uh, efficiency. They made 55% of their shots. Uh, they shot 61% in the second half. Uh, we did not have an answer for Manny Bates. Um, they shot 40% from three. Uh, they went to the free throw line a lot. We just looked out of our elements uh, against them. And again, we had the issue of we really had three guys that were effective on offense and beyond that there really wasn't much working for us uh the defense struggled uh the uh offense had moments of being really good but again the half court is just gonna be a problem for this team at least for now uh, we definitely have a long way to go in half court offense. Sometimes uh, we get the ball to guys and they just they don't look like they know what they're doing. Naquan Tomlin in particular really struggles in the half court. I feel like uh, he uh, is really I mean, he's obviously really good in transition most of the time, but this team has a lot of issues to figure out, mainly defense and finishing at the rim. Uh, we we miss layups way too often yeah. to be a truly effective squad. So we're uh, unless your name is Keontae Johnson, you have a lot of soul searching to do offensively. So because Keontae was perfect from the field, he had uh, twenty points, uh, nine of nine from the field, two of two from three, twelve rebounds. He had five turnovers, but again, that's probably because his usage rate was just so high. So I'm, I, I don't even care about those five turnovers for Keontae. He can turn the ball over as much as he wants if he's going <laughs> to score he's 20 points. Double, double. Yeah, if, if he's going to carry the entire team, fine. Turn the ball over five times, man. I I do not care. And honestly, turnovers-wise, we 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 did we had a really bad first half, but the second half wasn't that bad in terms of turnovers. Uh, we only had 13 for the game, which is actually pretty good. That's closer to what we want, which is 11. Uh, still, we're turning the ball over way too much, and we need to, if we're going to play the way that we do, we need to force way more than 14 turnovers from Butler. Um, so, I don't know, just a lot of soul-searching to do for the, for this team. Um, this is a, obviously a very talented team, but they, they have a lot of work to do. Ace, what do you what do you have to say? We, we've talked about on multiple occasions how this team likes to go into nap time where it's just nothing seems to be clicking. Everyone kind of seems to be sluggish. 
this entire game kind of felt like nap time, except for KJ, because KJ does not enter nap time, apparently. But I, my, and so to, for good performances, you obviously had KJ, Marquise Noel had 13 and a couple of flashy passes as Marquise always does. He was only, it was only one for six from three, five for 15 from the field. So he didn't have a good shooting day, but at least he scored. And then Desi had 17 points, three boards, you know, for 29 minutes. I I am to the point where, where was Bebe, first off? And secondly, Ish should not have the role that he currently has. <laughs> I, no. I, I, Bebe must have been hurt. To me, there's no other explanation why he didn't see the feet and didn't see the didn't see the court. I my guess is that he may have just been sick because they've been talking about a bug going through the team. But either that or he just uh, didn't play because of like he was banged up or um, uh, they just didn't think he was a schematic fit. I was surprised to not see him at any point because I felt like he would maybe stand a better chance against uh, uh, Manny Bates of uh, Butler because he just ate our lunch all night. But it was a um, it was a difficult, difficult, difficult night for post defense uh, for uh, for K-State. And this is an especially frustrating game for K-State because Butler only had like uh, seven players available or something like that. They were they're they're missing like like four or five players. Yeah. And we just did not perform well against them at all. And we we should have been able to do a lot more uh, than we did. And yeah, Ish probably shouldn't have been playing 23 minutes because he definitely was not suited to guard Manny Bates. Uh, he just doesn't have the lateral movement for it. Um, but yeah, I I don't know what else to say about this game other than it was a very frustrating watch. Save for a handful of runs in the second half, we looked lost for most of the game. Um uh, we cut it to five at one point or maybe twice in the second half, but ended yeah. up losing by 12 anyway. It's just because, yeah, the, the, this team definitely struggles to keep the energy up for 40 minutes. And there's times where they look like they're unstoppable. And then a timeout gets called. They lose the momentum, uh, which is really uh, frustrating. This this team is going to develop into something good, uh, but starting 6-0 and was great. You're going to lose one at some point. Sucks that it has to be against Butler, especially when they were depleted uh, because this, this should have been a winnable game. But uh, hopefully coming back to Manhattan will uh, do some uh, positives for this team. Yeah. yeah. The final thing I'll say is four from 20 for, for three. Not, Not great. great. Not great, Bob. Yeah. But even, if the- a few of them, if, even a few of them rolled out. Uh, that that's, that's really that's really bad. bad yeah but yeah the next game is this saturday if you're not going down to arlington come see k-state play wichita state game tips off at eight so you know if you're not going down to arlington by all means come up and see us play wichita state but next up is the women's basketball team they had their first vic- their second victory of the Cayman Islands class. Wait. Paradise Jam. Paradise Jam. The Paradise Jam against Northern Arizona. They ended up beating them 93 to 80. So a very high scoring match here. And just to go over who scored in double digits, because there are four of them, Gabby Gregory had 35 points. And 10 rebounds, so a double-double from her. Jalen Glenn had 23. Briley Glenn had 14. And then, weirdly enough, Serena Sundell only registered 26 minutes and 13 points. She was also, uh, Briley and Serena were in a little bit of foul trouble. Both had four. But Gabby Gregory continues to be just an insane pickup from the transfer portal. Yeah. Um, the big thing with her she had 10 rebounds five of those were offensive rebounds which is huge she didn't shoot super efficiently she was 9 of 24 from the field but she was 13 of 16 at the foul line which was really big and uh, only turned the ball over twice despite having such a high usage rate so 
Good for Gabby Gregory. She was really good. Jalen Glenn, uh, four of eight from three, nine of 16 from the field. That's fantastic. That's exactly what we need from him, uh, from Jalen. Uh, Bradley Glenn gets four steals, four of eight from the field, six of 10 at the free throw line. That's really good as well. Serena only had three assists, but also only had one turnover. She had a block. She had a steal, seven rebounds, uh, and three offensive rebounds, seven of nine from the free throw line. And she was just doing a little bit of everything in this game, got 13 points out of it. And then not many other people scored. Emily Ebert had uh, one basket, and Sarah Shamatsi had six points on two of four from the th- um, from the field, one of two from three, made a free throw. So uh, we didn't need a lot from our uh, um, our bench players because the the starters um, really carried uh, in this game, other than Taylor Lauterbach, who didn't play much, was because she really just wasn't a good matchup for this Northern Arizona team. Like, like barely being fair to her, there's nothing that she could do against this Northern Arizona team because they play five out. So there, there wasn't much purpose in having her on the floor other than to get the tip, and that was about it. And sure. uh, but yeah, K State um, played pretty well against Northern Arizona. They let them back into it a little bit at the end, uh, but ultimately were able to win by 13. Uh, so it, it was a it was a nice performance for K State. 44 percent from the field. 39% from three made 71.8% of their free throws. Uh, Northern Arizona did shoot 40% from three, but we kind of expected that because uh, this as a team that loves to to shoot and play at a uh, really quick pace. And we were able to match that and uh, surpass them for the most part. So good for uh, the mini cats. Jeff mini did get ejected in this game. I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. This was uh, the game he got ejected. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he got ejected like in the first quarter. So Ryan Osterman uh, ended up coaching the rest of this game. So solid performance for him. Yeah, Jeff Mitty, he really didn't like a uh, it was a foul call against Serena Sundell, I think, like or something like that. She got two in quick succession, I think. And uh, he got teed up really fast. And uh, then they got double tech and got thrown out of the game. Uh, it ultimately did not matter. K-State won by double digits. Uh, but this is not the first time it's happened to Jeff Mitty. Uh, he got thrown out of uh, the game against West Virginia a few years ago, which to be fair, I get why he was frustrated because we were up by like 20 with like eight minutes to go. And, it, and West Virginia ended up winning by double digits or something. They went on like a 30 to like two run or something like that. Then they shot like eight technical free throws because of Jeff Mitty. <laughs> and that, He's a man of passion. He is. He is a uh, when he gets mad, he gets mad. Uh, and if he's going to get a technical, he's going to earn that technical. <laughs> he's so, going to earn the tech. Believe me, he will earn that tech. Yeah. He, there are no soft techs with Jeff Mitty. No, not at all. <laughs> nice guy. but He gets really angry on the basketball court. So, uh, but yeah, Pace ultimately comes out with another win. Uh, they were undefeated to this point as well. Uh, they were 7-0 at this point. So, got out a hot start. Yep. Unfortunately, the undefeated streak couldn't last forever. They ended up losing to also undefeated Arkansas 69 to 53 in the championship game, or I believe was a championship of their pod because they had a weird scheduling system for it. But Arky ended up winning. And this was a match where, whereas yesterday we had a lot of, you know, insanely high scores, there is one person in particular that did not have her usual game. You still had Jalen Glenn get 14, four rebounds. Serena Sundell, 13, five rebounds. Briley, who I think is, I think Jalen and Briley pretty much cemented themselves as both being in the starting five after Briley was was out of it for a little while in favor of Shamatsi. Because Shamatsi, I think, was in the starting five for a while. But the biggest one is Gabby Gregory. Gabby Gregory only had five points. She was one for 10 from the field with one three. That's not sustainable for this team. <laughs> that's that's not. No, no, not at all. Uh, she she definitely needs to be more effective than that. And probably some of that is just fatigue uh, from being the third game in three days and really going off in the, the previous two games. Uh, so she, she was probably out of energy by this game. She only played 20 minutes in this one as well. So I think that's telling, uh, that Gabby Gregory was just exhausted by the time that they got to this game. Uh, but yeah, five points going to need more in the future. Uh, 
K-State shot really poorly in this game, never shooting better than 28% and a quarter, shooting 27.3% uh, over the game, 26% from three. Uh, shot 94% at the free throw line, only missing one. Uh, but Arkansas, honestly, they shot okay, but still not great throughout this game. Uh, 42% from the field, 26% from three. Uh, but K-State just had a, an atrocious uh, shooting night. Uh, really, really struggled in that department. Former Wildcat Chrissy Carr had a really good day. Uh, 18 points, 7 to 12 from the field, 3 of 8 from 3, and literally uh, 4 rebounds, and that was it. No assists, no turnovers, no blocks, no steals, and no other stats. Um, but, yeah, tough uh, tough loss for K-State. I, I do think that they uh, show that they do lack uh, some depth uh, in some facets uh, in this game. They uh, they definitely have a really strong starting lineup, uh, but uh, Eliza Moppin, while uh, a fant- going to be fantastic, uh, still has a long way to go. Um, and then people like Heavenly Greer and Emily Ebert are fine off the bench, but they aren't going to be able to carry a team. So Gabby Gregory is going to have to show up on a daily basis, really, for this squad to uh, continue to win. Yeah, but... You know, Arkansas is not a bad team, so this isn't a panic button loss. They're, they were undefeated, too. So like, I'm not pressing the panic button on this team yet or at all. I'm not pressing the panic button on either Catskill teams because I think we lost to two pretty good teams both times. Yeah. Well, they're a little more debatably, but Arkansas is definitely a good women's squad. Yeah, Arkansas is going to be pretty good this year. Uh, and Chrissy Carr is obviously a really good basketball player as well. A former five-star out of high school, former Wildcat. So uh, it's a, uh, it's going to be a quality team, uh, Arkansas. So, and K-State, you know, they're, they're going to drop a few here and there, with the, the style of basketball they play uh, just because there's not going to be a lot of sure buckets at times uh, with this team. Uh, a, a lot of jump shooting and some nights they just don't fall as well, uh, which, uh, Hopefully that won't be as much of an issue down the stretch uh, in conference play um, just because they won't be playing three games in three days, but it is what it is. So it, Arkansas obviously played a better game. I wasn't able to watch this game, unfortunately, uh, because this was at the exact same time as the uh, game against the KU. K- KU game. So there, there might be like eight K-State fans worldwide that watched this game <laughs> as it happened, which really, really is unfortunate to say, um, but it's just really poor timing and nothing that K-State can do about that. But yeah, you know, unfortunate that both basketball teams lost their perfect records, but they both went further into the season with perfect records than I anticipated. Oh, absolutely. The next women's basketball game is this Sunday up against Houston in Manhattan, then playing UKC in Manhattan at next Wednesday as well. So the Sunday matches at 1 p.m. So you're not doing anything. Come support the women's basketball team. Now, finally, in terms of actual matches, is women's volleyball in the last match of the year. They ended up falling to Baylor, 25-20, all three sets. I, okay. I really don't want to talk about the game or the match itself. I don't feel like there's much to say. Like We can go over the top stats, but the, the big piece of news is immediately after yeah i'll I'll very quickly cover Uh, elena baca had another double double had 12 kills uh 11 digs um only four errors on 28 attempts uh so solid job three aces to go with that so good job there Uh, mackenzie morris only had uh two digs or not two uh nine excuse me uh and then uh elena baca yeah obviously led the team with 11 Aaliyah carter only played in one set uh, had five kills on 16 attempts, three errors. Yeah, not a ton to report, honestly, uh, here other than K-State really just got dominated by a superior Baylor team in pretty much every measurable way. So not a, not a ton to, uh, to really say, honestly, about uh, how this game went other than K-State did lose to a much better Baylor team that's uh, going to be, or I think already is in the NCAA tournament. They finished the regular season 23-6, 23 and 6, 12 and 4 in Big 12 play. Baylor did. Uh, K State finishes 15 and 4, so just above 500, 6 and 10. 15 and uh, 14. You said 4. 
uh, 15 and 14. Uh, my apologies. 15 and 14. Good. And uh, yeah, obviously does not have the uh, uh, the season that they wanted to have, uh, which, you know, it is what it is. But I mean, this, this was a good Baylor team. I don't think that anybody expected us to win. We gave them a much yeah. better fight, though, uh, the uh, the first time that we played them. So kind of frustrating that we weren't able to hold on uh, and um, uh, maybe give them a better fight. But it is what it is. I'm trying to check Baylor's schedule, but their website really sucks, so I just can't check anything. So they're somewhere in the big in the NCAA tournament right now. So yeah, uh, that's all you need to know. Yeah. So that you said we finished 14, 15 and fourteen with a six and ten Big Twelve conference record. That was not enough to sustain someone's job. So Susie Fritz was told she would not be returning next year. So she would not get to enjoy the volleyball arena that she's lobbied for for so long, which is so tough for her. But at the exact same time, as much as I respect what Susie brought to the volleyball program at K-State, this was probably a little bit overdue, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean... I'm not going to grave dance on Susie Fritz because I don't, I don't really think there's any honor in that. Like, because yeah. it's not like she like was like a bad person or was like doing like bad stuff at K-State. Like she was trying and like, like doing her best. And uh, K-State had some really high highs under Susie Fritz. So I'm not going to grave dance on Susie Fritz or anything like that. But it definitely was time uh, to make a change, I think. Uh, which is unfortunate because Susie is a legend at K-State, uh, the winningest coach in K-State volleyball history and uh, coached here for 22-ish years, 20-ish years, something I like that. Something in there. And a really, really long time at a coach at one place. It's pretty rare for any sport. But yeah, she... Uh, uh... Uh-oh. It appears we have hit technical difficulty parts of the show. We'll be right back. (laughs) And we're back. Yeah, sorry about the technical difficulties. Sometimes technology does not want to cooperate, which is the biggest downside in about not recording in person. But yeah, 20-ish, 20-plus years of service for Susie Fritz. So yeah, you were were mid-thought about what she's done for the program so yeah uh had i think one big 12 uh championship uh under her belt uh she uh, went to the NCAA tournament more often than not uh for most of her tenure although that changed a little bit uh, as of late uh should have gone in 2020 would have gone if it had been a full 64 field um and then went last year but uh the program has been uh slowly trending downwards for the last uh, decade or so. Uh, so it, it was probably time to make this change. Um, and I, it, it is unfortunate that she won't be able to uh, coach in the arena that she has tried to get built for so long. But at the uh, end of the day, it is also for Gene Taylor uh, on his perspective, it's the perfect time to get a new coach and usher in a new era of K-State Volleyball along with the uh, new venue. Uh, so that uh, gives Gene Taylor yet another thing on his plate as things stand. Uh, so he's going to have to manage this coaching search, uh, manage K-State uh, football, uh, getting to the Big 12 title, and be on the CFP committee as they try to pick a playoff uh, <laughs> this year. So he's Gene Taylor's a very busy man right now, I'd imagine, unless he's uh, deputizing the uh, volleyball search. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe he's uh, yeah, uh, delegating that. I, I I don't know how that would work, honestly. Uh, but, I don't either. Above um, my pay grade. Well above my pay grade. Mr. Gene Taylor's making almost a million years, and we are not making that on this podcast. So, <laughs> Not remotely. Well, Gene, if you're listening and you'd like to make a donation, <laughs> you should buy some of our excellent merchandise. The- if I see Gene Taylor in a Doom Tank clan shooter, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> Gene Taylor is a true alley cat. Didn't you know? <laughs> I wish he might be. I doubt he is. But yeah, I mean, the to get into the coaching search a little bit, 
Um, the one name that has really the only name that has been said uh, in this, albeit very short process, is Don Sullivan of yeah, UNLV. That's that the, is, that's a big name that Scott's been of Bosco's boys yeah. has been pushing for. Yeah, Scott has been talking about Don Sullivan uh, pretty much the whole year, so we're we're not going to take credit for that mm-hmm. uh, because you know, Scott was, was saying if we do get rid of Susie Fritz, that Don Sullivan should be the target. Former K State volleyball player. Uh, and has been the uh, coach at UNLV this year, uh, which UNLV uh, volleyball is in the middle of a fantastic season. Uh, they are currently 26 and four. So UNLV volleyball uh, is doing really well. They are in the uh, NCAA tournament uh, and they are actually playing right now as we are recording oh. <laughs> against Washington State. Uh, so, which Washington State is a uh, national, nationally seeded team. They're number seven, and uh, that UNLV is currently leading them twenty-four to twenty-three in the first set. So, it's a that's a really good program that Don Sullivan has built out in Vegas. So, being a, a former uh, Wildcat, obviously, got to be at the top of your list because if you don't get Don Sullivan. Now Don Sullivan is going to be coaching against you in probably two years, and you know I, I would rather not. Rather so, not. But yeah, only four losses all season long uh, for for Don Sullivan: a two-three loss against uh, the U, Miami, Florida; a one-three loss against Idaho State; an O-three loss at Colorado State; and an O-three loss the Mount West Championship against Utah State. But other than that, twenty-six and four. A fantastic performance, seventeen and one in conference play. Um, that is the type of coach that you want leading your program, especially already having K State ties. So there, there's a built-in connection there. That's got to be the obvious hire if you're Gene Taylor. Yeah, I agree. I I don't keep up enough with you know college volleyball coaching circles to name any other good hires the same way that we could name you know, good football hires, if that theoretically happened, the same way that we named collection of basketball coaches when Tang was around that time when the coaching search was going on after Bruce Weber. But yeah, Don Sullivan seems like the obvious choice, so I hope that's who we're pursuing. <laughs> yes, I, I would certainly hope so as well. Um, they, she's obviously built UNLV uh, into a, uh, a really good program. Uh, she was previously at uh, Iowa State as well uh, for a, an extended period of time, 12 years, uh, I think is what they were um, or is how long that uh, she was there. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how long. Uh, I'm trying to read her bio right now on UNLV's website, but it's like really, really long. <laughs> like this is like a like a full essay about Don Sullivan. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm sure she's like very interesting, but like, this is a lot, <laughs> but, <laughs> but now when she was at K state, they went to the NCAA tournament four straight times. Uh, she had 1611 kills, 1258 digs in her career, which are third and fourth most in the program uh, history. And she is one of only five KSU players to have a thousand kills and a thousand digs in a career. So not only a great coach, but also a fantastic, uh, player so hire don sullivan i guess (laughs) you Uh, know that's that's my bitch i agree and and also because if we get past don sullivan then i don't know any other candidates so we 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 just kind of we for the sake of content we have to or else we have to start actually doing research on our own (laughs) and i'd rather not (laughs) i can't do that i can't do that by myself but i don't think i don't think i would have it in me to go through and research like every group of five schools like a volleyball coach and like how they're doing (laughs) Mm -mm. no but that's women's volleyball and then finally a little bit of the actual news segment that is the women's soccer mike dabini has been extended to 2026. I we all we wanted for was improvement this year. Apparently that's all the athletic department wanted as well. And apparently the recruiting has been a reason as to why he stayed. But I I'm indifferent. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm indifferent towards it. I'm willing to let him prove it 
especially because it's already a low stakes program in terms of revenue. So I'm willing to let him prove that he can build on what he did this year, which to be fair, what he did this year is unprecedented in K-State history. The team is still not fantastic, but they did have a nice building year. Need to do a lot of work offensively, but um, the only consistency really is that we've had fantastic goalkeeping the whole time that he's been here. So I, I there is that. But other than that, uh, I'm I'm willing to wait and see because yeah, allegedly there is good. Uh, there's a couple good recruiting classes coming in. I have no idea how to verify that information other than just people are saying that and it may or may not be true. Um, I guess the only evidence is that Jasmine Brown was a um, freshman all big 12 this year and she definitely earned that because she was really good on the back line. So I'm fine with it. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to see what Dabini can do uh, and uh, uh, see if he can uh, continue to vault to higher levels because uh, um, it was only up from where we were for our entire existence, which was dead last in the big 12 constantly. <laughs> and if we can just get ourselves consistently out of the cellar, that's a good start. We, we've begun that trend this year. So hopefully he can continue it. Yep. Absolutely. So that's the news segment of this episode. Now we can get into everyone's favorite, which is the wacky segment of the week. And that is if you could have a bowl game all to yourself, what would it be called and who would be the automatic qualifiers? So if you want to take automatic qualifiers, literally you can pick a team like the Hawaii Bowl always has Hawaii whenever they're eligible. I more meant which two conferences get the auto qualifier. No, I, I understood. Um, well, obviously it's going to be the bad boy mowers Gasparilla Bowl because nobody's ever done that. <laughs> and This is a hard question because... It's difficult to come up with like a more ridiculous bowl name than ones that have already existed, like the Bad Boy Mowers Gasparilla Bowl. Like, how do you <laughs> do much better than that? Or the fact that there's like two Cheese It Bowls now. And, yeah. Uh, the Cheese It Bowl. The Cheese It Cheese It Bowl. And then the Cheese It. Oh, then there's like, oh, it's like the Gator Bowl or something presented by Cheese It. It's some bowl that's presented by Cheese It. Like, which I prefer blank bowl presented by that sponsor. Like, I think it's a better way to do it than just the sponsor bowl. Like the Duke's Mayo Bowl. I will not hear Duke's Mayo Bowl slander on this podcast. That that is acceptable. Uh, I think that's <laughs> that's important to the integrity of the bowl name. If the sponsor is relevant to the name of the bowl, I think it's fine to continue to have their name in the beginning. Like for example, I know this isn't the sponsor anymore, but I still completely associate Tostitos with the Fiesta Bowl. Yeah, like, always will. The Totillo's Fiesta Bowl was like the perfect sponsorship, I felt like. And it is just an absolute shame that it's the PlayStation Fiesta Bowl now. And also the one year that it was the Battlefrog Fiesta Bowl was really odd. Do you remember that? Yes. Because <laughs> the Tostito sponsorship fell through and they couldn't find an actual replacement. So they just have this random like ropes course from California sponsor the Fiesta Bowl for a year. Which was definitely a fantastic idea that didn't go poorly at all. But I mean, when when I when trying to like have a bowl, I I hardly know where to even begin just because of how ridiculous uh, it all is. I I think maybe the best option would be to have one in California in, in uh, Colorado and have like a dispensary sponsor it or something. <laughs> would the auto Would the auto qualifiers be Pac-12 and Mountain West? obviously yes yes it would obviously be that but it would have to be a team from the pac-12 that's in a state where recreational marijuana is legal uh for legal reasons and legal reasons <laughs> winner gets to take home the weed yes they do they <laughs> they absolutely they, they they get a i don't know year supply or something i don't know <laughs> Whoa, <gee>. but <laughs> And that that I mean that's like the best I can can come up with because like there's already so many ridiculous bowl games and there's already so many bowl games that's like hard to think of something that like doesn't exist unless we're just gonna throw something in some random like deep south town again like there's like a Birmingham bowl or something yeah the like Birmingham that. bowl we don't need that <laughs> my pick is I'm actually going to reinstate a bowl and I'm going to reinstate the Tokyo bowl. 
Oh, fun. And it's going to be auto qualifiers from Big 12 and Big 10. Because I think it'd be very funny to see a collection of Midwestern schools play in Tokyo. There's no other reason. I just think that'd be really cool. That'd be really cool and really funny. Plus, I think it's a shame that the Tokyo Bowl was ever discontinued. I want there to be more like international bowls. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Like, it'd be a real pain to travel for. uh, But they they would be cool if there was like one a year and they're like rotated or something. I don't know. Like make, but, it, make it an international bowl when you pick like a major city every single year. So you can like Tokyo, you could have it in Munich, could have it in Belfast, London. Uh, I don't want to go to Brazil, but <laughs> why not? Ace? <laughs> uh, I don't want to go to Brazil. <laughs> All right. That's fair. But I, that, that could be really fun. Um, I was thinking of an idea, but oh, uh, in the Tokyo Bowl. It would be really fun, honestly, if there was like a, a bowl game between like the D2 national title uh, winner and like the best Japanese college football team. <laughs> like that would be kind of fun, like like more international competition in, in football. I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, apparently we're trying to get a flag football as an Olympic sport. That would be cool because I'm trying to get that for L.A. The LA that's Olympics. a lot more accessible than actual football. It's a lot easier to learn, I think, because uh, you don't have to learn tackle form. You just have to be able to like use your hands like effectively, like mm-hmm. and be fast, I guess. Like, like so, that would be kind of interesting uh, to to see that. But uh, I don't know. There, there's plenty of uh, a bowl game ideas. I don't know what I would call mine though. It might maybe just the Colorado Bowl, just self-explanatory bowl. <laughs> The, the, the bowl, the bowl, the bowl, the bowl, bowl. <laughs> <laughs> our, our collective minds like had to take that one step at a time, but we finally, we did get there eventually. But, but yeah, if I'm right, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cat podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we're AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Bouncesor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tank Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Neon Alley Cats. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats. <laughs>